Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you surely, man. Thanks very much for taking the time to listen to Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast, even if you're only devoting the least valuable part of your day to listen to the show. Are you stuck on the bus to work? Are you cycling home through the rain? Realistically, you have no choice but to listen to a podcast <laughs> in order to stay sane. But thanks anyway for choosing this one as the show, the podcast of first resort for that trip. Owen and Ken here. Hi, Ken. Hi, Owen. How are you? I'm pretty good. I want you to take yourself away from that bus journey or that grim cycle for a moment and put yourself into the no doubt unfeasibly shiny shoes. Are we saying close your eyes? If on a bus, yes. If, if on, on a, a bus, bicycle, close your eyes, I would, I would say keep those eyes peeled but put yourself into those shiny shoes of Pep Guardiola. Oh, yeah. You're managing one of the biggest clubs in the world. You've never fully felt at home, though. You've never really dug life at Bayern Munich in the way you enjoyed life at Barcelona. You're a little worried that maybe you look foolish in these tight clothes. <laughs> yeah. Unless you, you have that uh, rakish Pep Guardiola physique. And you know now that many of the rest of the biggest clubs in the world would love to have you. Some have possibly made indiscreet inquiries or discreet inquiries. We don't know. But two of them are from the very same city. Which one would you choose? A, Manchester City, the most recent superpower in English football. A couple of your old Barcelona buddies in higher places there. Or B, do you go all nostalgic and pick Manchester United on the back of their attack, attack, attack philosophy of the Alex Ferguson years? Who would you go for, Ken? If you were in Pep Guardiola's shoes. Well, I mean, there's no doubt Man United are a much bigger club than Man City. I mean, I don't, don't mean to... In what way? Annoy anybody there. I mean, in terms of their global following, you know what I mean? They, I think Manchester United have a lot more fans than Manchester City. Mm. It's always been controversial as to what happens, what what, what the makeup uh, is of the, you know, the setup in Manchester. Um, Does number of fans really come into it if you're Pep Guardiola? Is it not about financial fire, firepower, possible relations with the people in charge of the club, mm. which would you would imagine be smoothed somewhat immediately when he moves into Manchester City. Unless yeah. he just doesn't get on with Bagheerstein. We don't know. Maybe he's 
He's like, mm, Bagheerstein, you've taken quite a lot of credit for <laughs> some of the stuff I was doing there. Yeah, I mean, so, I, he, he he does. I mean, in terms of Ash, uh, Bagheerstein and Soriano were the, the guys who I think appointed him at Barcelona, or they were definitely among the people who appointed him. Um, you know, whether he still gets on with them, his bosom buddies, whether he needed, whether he ever was or ever needed to be in order to have a good working relationship, um, I couldn't tell you. But... Uh, I mean, Bagheerstein would, would be a former team. Yeah, he was a former teammate. There are times in, in the team definitely overlapped. Um, that doesn't necessarily uh, mean that you know the draw of Bagheerstein will be enough to outweigh the draw of Manchester United. I mean, the thing about Manchester City, it, I mean, look at what Guardiola has done so far. He's managed Barcelona. He's managed Bayern Munich. Okay, so we're talking about classic clubs here. He hasn't shown any interest in Chelsea. You know, he hasn't sort of. Paris Saint-Germain don't seem to float his boat. Mm-hmm. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they haven't tried. You know, Manchester City are kind of, um, you know, a, a recently um, created super club, and he seems to have shown a preference so far for going with the kind of traditional you know, big dogs, of which Manchester United is is one, I guess, in a way that Manchester City still isn't. Give it a few more years. Yeah, I mean, it's this, it's the way that Chelsea now are. Chelsea are one of the biggest clubs in the world now. I don't think he'd ever want to go to Chelsea, though, would he? Well, he he doesn't seem to have he doesn't seem to have showed interest in that. I mean, they they do they have wanted him, I think, for a long time, but maybe he thinks it isn't the right type. Maybe he doesn't feel that he'd be given, you know, the sort of stability that he's looking for. I don't know, but I mean, Chelsea Chelsea, I think, show. Uh, I mean, in two thousand and three, when they were taken over, uh, they were on the verge of going bankrupt. Um, and now they're one of the biggest clubs in the world. I mean, they have supporters all over the world now, um, particularly in South America. Apparently, South America is a huge Chelsea fan base. They've had some, you know, uh, I'm trying to think, who are the great South American players that they've had? You know, Ramirez, Diego Costa. Veron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have, um, they apparently have a, a big fan base there. The, the, that's a new development, but I mean, it's real. Manchester City, I'm sure in a few more years, uh, you know, if they kind of sustain their success, we'll, we'll have that. But for the moment, I think there is a big gap in status between the two clubs. So you would still, if right now, if you were Pep Guardiola, you would take the Manchester United job? Status isn't the only thing. I mean, a lot of it, I suppose, would depend on the conditions. Uh, but it seems to me as though Manchester United have been pretty good with their managers. I mean, in terms of, I don't think Edward Woodward has been peering over Louis van Gaal's shoulder too much and saying, you know, what? What are you doing there, Louis? Or could you just explain that to me, Louis? He seems quite happy to let Louis van Gaal control the football side of the club, which I guess Guardiola, I mean, they'd roll out the red carpet for for Guardiola. I'm sure Manchester City would as well. Both of these clubs are kind of flinging themselves at his feet. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a weird one just because I, I wonder what kind of game is actually going on here. I mean, what happened over the last few days was, first of all, in Spain, these reports emerged saying uh, Pep has agreed to take over Manchester City. Uh, next yeah, he's season. cancelled his press conference. He's going to Man City. Yeah, and that's that. And he was asked about it in um, in a press conference, and he said, "No, uh, let's not go there." So he can't. He, it wasn't like he said, "No, that's definitely not true." He said, "Don't ask me that." Uh, and then over the weekend, then there were reports. Sam Wallace certainly had one report suggesting that in fact his preference would be for Manchester United rather than Manchester City. And meanwhile, you've got Bayern there going, "What about us?" Mm. You know, what? Well, <laughs> I mean, it is, it's kind of interesting the way that Guardiola seems to want to always be a Rolling Stone like that, you know. Well, I don't really understand his objection to... Staying at Bayern? 
Bayern are a great club and he's put together a great team. I mean, people were criticising him at the beginning because they were like, oh, this is boring and, oh, you know, you lost 5 nil to Real Madrid. And obviously the, the Champions League semi-finals haven't been great. They've been really the only blot on the copybook. But the kind of football that Bayern are playing at the moment is so good that it's kind of shut everyone up. You know, no, no one can really argue with this. Well, until the latter stage of the Champions League. That's the, the, their problem is no competitive games or the, the, the Bundesliga games are, are so easy for them now that almost the first test of the season, first real test is this Champions League semi-final, which is quite late to get going <laughs> in the season. And, the, and they've kind of, they've, they've ended up getting beaten up. Uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona both played really well against them and they made them look stupid. But, you know, the, the kind of criticism you were getting in, in this first season has, has stopped now because it's not just a question of Bayern being richer than everyone else, although they are in Germany. It's a question of this is a team that's the like of which they haven't seen in Germany before. It's so, they're ridiculously good. Uh, nobody can touch them. You have to, at some point, step back and say, well, the manager has done a pretty amazing job here. There are a lot of managers who spend money, there are a lot of clubs who spend money, and very few of them end up with a team this good. Um, I suppose, you know, he has to do it in the semi-final of the Champions League at some point, but I don't think anyone could really, even if they lost again in the same uh, situation, I don't think anyone, if he decided to leave Bayern at the end of the season, could say that he had, he had failed. I mean, three three of their most dominant league titles ever in succession. You know, even if the even if it's slightly devalued by them being richer than everybody else, it's still you have to command respect. Okay, now everybody, you can step back out of the body of Pep Guardiola, back into your own your own skin, and listen to Ken Early's report on sport. Well, we will return to Pep a little bit later on because. Oh, so uh, hang on, people are confusing. They'll, they'll have to become Pep Guardiola again maybe mm. later on in that bus journey. What if they're off the bus? Um, they can do it walking down the street. Yeah. Um, maybe it's, put a bit a of a spring of wet, in their step. A lot of wet weather around, though. You're not really in the mood for visualization like that when you're <laughs> trying to get from the bus stop back to the yeah. house. Um, he, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to him because we we're going to have Graham Hunter on just to talk about uh, talk about. Well, Graham's opinion is that if Manchester United lose the chance to appoint Guardiola, it would be a criminal error. It would be they that this is. Uh, this appointment is so obviously the right appointment for them that they need to do absolutely everything to ensure that it happens. And uh, and we'll hear a little bit later from him why he thinks that is the case. Uh, but in the meantime, there's um, transfer news involving Richie Tal. Richie Tal has oh, yes. gone to Brighton. Um, this has been talked about for a while. I mean, he's been linked with a few uh, clubs. I think was had a few different options on the table. But Brighton, I think, are are great. Uh, place for him to have ended up. They're top of the championship at the moment, looking pretty likely to be promoted to the Premier League. Chris Hewton um, is the manager there. Uh, he says Richie's had a wonderful season in Ireland, scored a lot of goals for the champions Dundalk from midfield, and that really caught her eye. I mean, he scored 25 goals from midfield. <laughs> that is quite a lot. It's, a, it's an unbelievable record. Um, now, in fairness, he, did, he has said, you know, he, that... You know, he, he playing in the League of Ireland, he might get three or four chances a game. He's not going to get that many chances playing in the Championship and fewer even in the Premier League. But the fact is that he knows how to score. And also, if you see him, he is in fantastic physical shape. Oh, yeah, you know well, he whipped the top off when he scored the winner in the Cup Final. I think people were pretty impressed. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's like, uh, he's a proper, he lives his life as a proper athlete. You know, I mean, I think a lot of, in fairness, it's, it's kind of what it takes to, to be a professional at the top level these days, I think. But 
still a lot of people still don't do it. Uh, he is doing. It. I mean, he he was in. He was on our uh, TV program, and was and this was shortly after they'd won the cup, like a couple of days after they'd won the uh, FA Cup in the final of which he scored, of course. But he was saying, um, Richie Sadler was asking him about his uh, their celebration. You know, what's what you do? Did you do much? He said, oh, you know, we had a couple of drinks after the game or whatever. But he says the next day I just went down to the gym. It's <laughs> just like, I'm sure what else am I going to do? <laughs> Uh, so that was that was him. I don't know if uh, the Clare hurlers of the 90s would have uh, been too impressed by Richie Tell's uh, attitude to celebrating a, a big uh, yeah, cup You've got like to enjoy those victories, all right. Yeah, six weeks. <laughs> six weeks wandering along the wild Atlantic Way. You know, our family's wondering what had become of us. Uh, not, not like that, Richie. Just pff, might as well go down to the gym. I suppose I am a professional sportsman. A few drinks, so. quick sing song, gym next day. <laughs> So that's what it's all about. Um, so I hope he does well over there because, um, I mean, he's obviously had an amazing season here and it'd be good to see if he can translate. I mean, he was very confident about his his quality. Uh, he was prepared to say, I'm good enough to play. Yeah, Richie Sadler loved that, that about him, that he just repeatedly said during the course of that interview, I'm confident. Yeah, I'm gonna, uh, good enough to play for good enough to play for Ireland, he reckons. So now he has a chance to prove it at a level that there are, you know, quite a few players in the squad who are playing at the level that he's joining. He can't start until uh, until the second January because of the transfer window. But it's funny. So he, the only thing about that is he could very quickly be a Premier League player. Yeah. He doesn't have that. I suppose if you're good enough and you've got six months in the Championship, five months playing in the Championship, it's unfair to, for his entire English career to be judged on that short enough time frame. But if he does enough in that, then why not jump up to the Premier League and see who he gets on? Oh yeah, and we're all assuming at the, in this scenario that they get promoted, which is no way away. Yeah, I mean, at the moment they're looking good. Um, they're looking good, but uh, who knows what's going to happen? Hopefully, he, hopefully he does well. Anyway, so where are we? Uh, Jamie Vardy was obviously the big uh, star of the weekend. Uh, all mine, all mine, which is a kind of a slightly evil-sounding Gargamel type sentiment from Jamie Vardy as he scored as he knocked that goal past David De Gea um, and I mean yeah it was I mean if you've watched the Manchester United or the Leicester Manchester United game it wasn't again it was another one of these pedestrian type of performances for Manchester United uh, which people are increasingly grumbling about now yeah um, and Louis van Gaal Louis van Gaal was doing plenty of grumbling about it I, I must say van Gaal wasn't Van Hal wasn't sitting there afterwards saying we played great. He said, um, uh, "Well, he said one thing. He's getting he's getting criticised for, uh, which was he was asked, can you win the league? What's the correct answer? You're the manager of Manchester United. You're third. You're well at that point second in the title. Of course we can win the league. Of course we can win the league. But I don't think he said it in a nasty enough way. I don't think. I think we're going to win the league. We're going to win the league. Maybe not." But of course we can win the league, definitely. But you need to also inject a lot of derision into that to show that the person who asked you the question, it's, it's like... Of course we can win the league, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> I can't believe you get paid for this kind of... It's lazy journalism kind of thing. You know, how dare you come in here and ask me a question like that. But Louis van Gaal said, I'm working in a process of three years, but I want to be champion when you can be champion. Uh, we were second, uh, and I think now we're third. So we're in the circumstances to fight for it, and we shall fight for it because we're a good team that's difficult to beat for every opponent, and we can win against every opponent. But it's a rat race; it's not so easy. Um, 
I always find these three-year programs hilarious. Mm. You don't know what the other team's going to be doing next year. Yeah. Chelsea might have... Jose Mourinho might ha- be on one of his good seasons if he's yeah. still there. Something could happen to Man City. Maybe Pep Guardiola is their manager next season and they go and win the league. I, in fairness, it's something a manager says to cover themselves, really. I'm sure he's as he, he must feel in his own head. He's as good a chance to win this year as he does next season. But you, say, you get it in all sports. Oh, well, it's a three-year plan or it's a five-year plan. I think it's better just to try to win it in the year that you've got a chance. Well, he's, I mean, that's effectively what he's saying. You know, it's a three-year plan, but if we can win it in the second season, I want to win it in the second season. Well, but, good, as long as he's saying that, that's good. But we're difficult to beat for every opponent, isn't the sort of thing that Alex Ferguson used to pride himself on, really. Except, I mean, he, he obviously did, but he never used to admit it. Um, he says, uh, when you want to be champion, you have to win this kind of match. Um... Then he complained a little bit. He said, uh, we know that's your counter-attacking team. And with their corner kicks, we showed the players that we had to organise better than all the other clubs. But we didn't do that. And then complained about um, you know, Memphis Depay missing a decent chance. You have to score that chance. You can't let in that goal. You know, kind of criticising players um, in, you know, in retrospect. Um, but yeah, I mean, Vardy got the goal didn't really have too many other chances. Leicester, in fact, could have won this game. They had the best chance of the game that wasn't scored uh, when Mara set up uh, Oyoa and he decided to cut inside and then shot very weakly at De Gea. That should have been a goal. Um, and a defeat really would have caused a few problems for Van Gaal. But to be honest, you know, I just, I just don't know why he's getting such pelters at the moment, really. Van Gaal? Yeah. I mean, I think that... Well, their football they're playing is... Terrible. It's terrible to watch. Hmm. I mean, there's not much doubt about that. Well, maybe. I know. I know there's a point. There. I know there's a logic to it. I know you've been writing, and it's true that what he's what he's doing now isn't exactly what he wants. I mean, the, all this holding possession is a means to an end. It is a form of attacking in itself, and I get that. But whether it's the personnel, as we talked about last Thursday, or just well, I think it is. Yeah, the fact that he's just not getting his message across as effectively as he did when he was a younger manager, I don't know. But the point is that the, what he ends up with isn't attractive to watch. Mm. And I know the Man United fans have fairly high opinions of how their own team should be playing the game. But I don't think any set of supporters would be too enamoured in England anyway with mm. the current Van Hal team. Yeah, I mean, it's you know the ball's moving around pretty slowly. I mean, people complain that, say, for instance, Schweinsteiger and Carrick are playing together. Neither of them really has any pace. Neither of them is going to um, break a line, maybe pass it through a line, but they're not going to actually move through. You know, they're not they're not going to be a, an extra man arriving that the defenders haven't, you know... Uh, well, except for Schweinsteiger's goal. <laughs> well, Schweinsteiger did. Well, you know, that was from a corner kick. Yeah. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, he can get into the box at a corner kick, but he's not going to... Yeah, I get you. You know, be, be doing the Lee Boyer. I always come back to Lee Boyer for some reason. <laughs> the Freddie Lundberg. The David Platt. Yeah, the, uh, you know. Um, so, you know, maybe they do need... So I, I mean, you, you could then counter, well, they've got they've got a player who's a bit like that in Under Herrera and Van Hal leaves him out, you know? I don't know. I think... Um, I do think that... I, I do think, I mean, if you if you want to compare it with Guardiola, I mean, there's a lot of excitement among Man United fans. You can see when this guy Guardiola wants to manage us, you know, oh, maybe we get Guardiola in. Uh, maybe Van Hal would just, like, leave. You know what I mean? Like, he'd just step aside. He'd say, oh, Pep, you know, I was just warming this bench for you here. Now, you know, you're obviously the right man for the job, so I'll just step aside and let you take over from here. You know, which seems unlikely. 
that Van Gaal would would look at it that way. But you know, I, I don't I don't see that Pep would necessarily play much better football with these players. You know, I think that if you swapped Lewandowski in for Wayne Rooney, you've suddenly got a pretty decent looking team. You know, and then you've got a team I think that would be finishing off half chances, which are currently not even happening. You know what I mean? You've got a, a, a striker, and that's just one player. But that's also partly Van Hal's fault. The players who are there, if they're not the, he's been there two seasons now, mm. so he's had enough time and he had enough money to buy a lot of good players, and yet he still doesn't have the type of player who can fit into fit into their system. I know Graham feels, and we'll talk to Graham Hunter about this in a little while that. Van Hal doesn't have the sort of st- despite what he's done in the game doesn't have the sort of status that Guardiola would have in terms of actually uh, attracting the top players well he doesn't in fairness not, not, not anymore people aren't excited to play for Louis Van Hal at the moment and when I say people I, I mean Lewandowski these kind yeah. of characters who actually you know you could feasibly see him following um, following Guardiola to the Premier League were it to happen conceivably um, <clears throat> you know whether, whether it be him or certainly a lot of players would say oh I would love the chance to work with this guy you know everybody raves about him you know, that he makes good players even better. And people used to think that about Louis van Gaal, but maybe not so much anymore. Anyway, uh, we will get back to that in a bit. Um, some, something that is beginning to happen as the relegation ish situation is coming into focus rather sharply, particularly for Aston Villa. Aston Villa, look, uh, well, screwed. You know, they've got five points now. It's it's almost... They're, they're close to Mick McCarthy's Sunderland. Um, you know the, um, you know that sort of feature in Mario Kart where you can sort of race against yourself and in ghost form. Um, yeah. You see the little ghost, and well, imagine right at the back of the race, all the slowest, most disastrous Premier League campaigns that there have ever been. It's just a big pile up at the back, and uh, Mick McCarthy's Sunderland are there right at the very back, and you know they had, you know, what did they get? They they got their six point on. Stevens' day or something like that. But Remy Guards, Aston Villa are just in front of them and really not moving at all. So it's a question as to whether how long they can they can stay ahead. And to be honest, they look absolutely they look it's obviously not mathematically certain that they're going down, but it seems mathematically improbable that they're gonna get enough points. They're seven points off seventeenth place now. And they've already fired their shot, as in they've yeah. gotten rid of their manager and brought in the yeah. smooth talking. Um, foreign coach so it's not looking good and then directly just above them is uh, our Newcastle Newcastle who were destroyed 5-1 by their former manager's team uh, Crystal Palace uh, Pardew the manager that was so unpopular with the Newcastle fans was then was uh, this weekend in the position of having to of expressing his pity uh, for the situation in which they found themselves it looks like they're going to have to really fight for the rest of the season Sazan Pardew they found themselves at a lot of points to make up now. But with the crowd and the way it is there, they can reverse that quickly. So I wouldn't say Pardew is really the biggest fan of the Newcastle crowd. No. They wanted him gone. Sackpardew.com. That was a, a website. Everybody, there was a while when everyone was coming in with their Sack Pardew. No more lies. Um, stop the bullshit. Pardew must go. And now, unfortunately... Um, well, not from Alan Pardew's perspective. He's riding high uh, at the head of a pretty useful Crystal Palace team. And Newcastle are really suffering. How are the fans reacting to McLaren at the moment? I don't think... I don't think that anybody is going to um, win two games out of 14 and 
really impressed a lot of the fans. No, but it does strike me that it's not vitriolic yet. I could be reading that wrong. Is it pretty vitriolic? Um, well, I think it will be. Uh, I mean, McLaren is basically saying uh, that this has been—it's been this way in all his jobs. Um, every job I've started has been hard at the beginning. Right from my first experience at Middlesbrough, where we lost the first four games, we were pointless and clueless, as we were called then. It took a good six or seven months to get through that really bad times. Then in the second year, we built a bit of belief. But the first 18 months were very, very difficult. We expect the same here. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, he's, not, he's not offering you, um, you know. Short-term fixes. It's very much blood, toil, tears and sweat that Stephen McLaren has to offer you. Not, uh, it, he's not promising an upturn in form anytime soon. No. We're... Uh, we're four months into an 18-month disaster period. Maybe expect things to get a lot worse before they get better. The question is whether Newcastle will be the other massive club to join Aston Villa in the championship next season. I mean, it would be a strange situation if they were both to go down, but it looks uh, distinctly possible at the moment. Chelsea, of course, joined 14th at the moment, so not out of the woods. No. Chelsea, Villa and Newcastle to go down. I mean, Chelsea have, you know, with their proud record of seven defeats in 14, it's incredible. And then they they played in Maurizio Pochettino's analysis like a small team at Tottenham. Uh, they went to Tottenham, it was a very bad game, a lot of running around, but not a lot of sharpness. Well, actually, I say a lot of running around, not as much running around as Tottenham usually do. And this is the thing that Pochettino was complaining about afterwards, that he didn't have uh, that they they'd had to play in like Kazakhstan, um, and that when they returned they were kind of sapped, mentally drained. Uh, didn't train on the Friday, um, ran a lot less. I think twelve kilometers less than some of their higher performances, and that was they were saying on match of the day too. Anyway, um, which is a big a big difference. Um, if you're one of those who believes, as Pochettino seems to do, that you know an extra 12 kilometers from a team is like having an extra man in the field and they were playing effectively a man down from what they are and their their better performances um, Chelsea were playing without Diego Costa um, even his art up front so so the main focus of the game after, as everyone was like oh this is a really boring game neither side is Spurs don't look like they can force the issue here and Chelsea don't really look like Chelsea for some reason seem happy with a draw here you know I mean he's literally looking at it and saying okay at least we're not going to lose this game. I will take a nil-nil draw. That was that was what Mourinho was thinking. And a nil-nil draw, which is very little to improve their league position, but that was the kind of lack of ambition that they had. The main interest then revolved around Diego Costa, who became the latest person to have the finger pointed at him. Mourinho saying that he was privileged uh, that this hadn't happened to him sooner. Um, uh, that you know he was the, he hadn't Being been benched. on the bench and like everybody else. But Costa then did this thing of throwing the bib. I mean, did you see Yeah, it? so he's taken off. He So he's not taken off, he never came on, but he'd done a couple of warm-ups as they do. Realises there, now hang on, the last substitutions have made, I'm not getting on here. S- walks back towards the bench, then stands with his back to the pitch and his face towards the people on the bench. Now, he's behind Mourinho at this point, he's a couple of rows up, so Mourinho wouldn't have necessarily... I get the feeling Mourinho's peripheral vision would be quite good. He's the kind of guy who'll see a lot of things or yeah. sense a lot of things at least going on around him. So he may have had an idea of what was happening. You see Costa starting having a bit of trouble taking off. He's a big man and a small yeah. bib. Eventually, and he was wearing like three jackets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He looked cold and miserable. So eventually he gets the bib off. At this stage, has walked pretty much to where his seat is but still has his back, hasn't, hasn't turned down to sit down. Flings his bib 
I'm going to say in the general direction of Jose Mourinho. Lands maybe a row behind him, one to the left. Mm. But it looked as though it was a. You could surmise that maybe he wouldn't have been disappointed if it had landed on Mourinho head, Mourinho's head and made him look silly for a couple of months. No, I mean, we. I suppose we can all feel a little disappointed that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but it was clear what he was trying to do, and it was, you know, who could have, who could have predicted a situation like this that. Um, that niggly competitor Diego Costa <laughs> suddenly that that uh, let's say competitiveness being turned uh, inwards or against uh, his own manager and causing a problem I mean it was obvious what he was doing it's it's not the kind of thing I'm, I would imagine that Mourinho would put up you saw the other players laughing yeah I think Mikel in particular thought it was hilarious Mourinho doesn't like being laughed at no. you know so it's 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 not even it shouldn't really be that big a deal, but it kind of. Well, no, I think throwing kind of your is. babe at a man at your manager is actually a reasonably big deal. I wonder, did he do not, it? Not in the greater scheme of life, Ken. No, the issues going on in the world at the moment. But in terms of if you are a top level professional footballer, I think it's a not a great thing to do. But you know, it's it's. I find it strange that this is happening. I honestly do because if you remember when Costa got in trouble a few a couple of months ago, remember after the Arsenal game, he ended up being banned. Do you remember Mourinho defending him on that occasion? And Mourinho was saying, the game has to be played like that. Diego Costa plays the game. That's the reason the stadiums are full, to see guys like Diego Costa competing. You know, he really was defending him. You sounded like he meant it. I mean, it was obviously self-serving as well. He didn't want Costa to get banned. But, you know, uh, what's happened to to suddenly have them and have their relationship this bad? I mean, they were fighting with each other, shouting at each other um, in the Champions League game in midweek as well. Mourinho said, oh, yeah, we made up in the dressing room. But clearly... They didn't because he, he gets dropped for the next game. Um, it shows again, I think, that Mourinho was bad at managing a squad. He's bad at ma- he's bad at managing um, dissent and unhappy players. You know, and you're thinking, okay, it's a it's a pity that you've fallen out with Diego Costa now, and, and his form has been poor. You haven't really been able to jolt him into life. It's a p- kind of a pity you sold Lukaku, isn't it? When you look back, because you don't have anyone else. I mean, you've got Hazard. Um, this this tiny little uh, winger playing centre forward. I mean, Hazard played well. He's a, he's an excellent player. He hasn't scored in seventeen matches in the league. You look at Lukaku at Everton. He's exactly the type of centre forward Jose Mourinho likes. He's playing for Everton and scoring goals. Scoring goals, absolutely. But he's in fantastic form of the season. He's constantly improving season on season. Why is he not playing for Chelsea? Chelsea had him, and he's not playing for Chelsea. The reason is that Mourinho can't. Find a way to sort of claw moss a player who starts to moan a little bit. You know, he can't find a way to... He never kind of put his arm around the guy, listen, Romelu, you know, we've got some great players at Chelsea, of which you're obviously one, and I'm going to need you. There's going to be times when I'm going to have to count on you. And that time is in three weeks when we go away to Swansea. I want you to be ready for that game. You know, this kind of stuff. This is the kind of stuff that managers have to do to try and cajole players, convince each every 25 players, 14 14 of whom can't possibly start um, in in every game, that they're all relevant. Mourinho doesn't bother doing that. So you've got you've got his only centre forward now disaffected. You've got a guy who should be playing for them at Everton, another one at Manchester City. You know, at some point, I mean, while people will criticise Costa, you've also got to look at Mourinho and say, well, it's a pity that you've left yourself so short of options here. Let's wrap up today's edition of Kennedy's Report on Sport. FIFA made a movie recently. Did they? John Delaney could run anything. They did, they did, about actually. Yeah, about themselves. Yeah, themselves. that's ego, isn't it? He could run FIFA. Certainly better than Sad Blatter. Yeah, that is, that's incredible ego, but the real movie's on its way. Yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too, don't forget that. No, no, don't forget that.
In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself. And I, and I said it to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you. We're one or two explosives. He said, no one speaks to me like that. And you said? And I said, what well, I do. And that was it. We're one or two explosives. And I just asked him to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. She, she was here to tell you, just stared at her for seven or eight seconds. And I said, move on now, please. And then he moved. When I went in and told him how I felt about him, yeah. and there were some expletive views, we came to an agreement. It's a very good agreement for FBI. <laughs> and you've used the figure there. Well done to you. We're going to focus a little bit more now on Jamie Vardy. Not so much the excellence of his footballing uh, contribution over the last couple of months again, but the story that's been following him around since around the start of the season. Well, yeah, I mean, the, f- the fact is... Uh, that Jamie Vardy, uh, towards the beginning of August, was filmed in it. He was in a casino, um, sitting at sitting at a table. I don't know, maybe he was playing blackjack. He was playing some kind of card game. Uh, he saw a man, uh, or I, I think his fiance. He was sitting with him. Said, oh, "I think this guy's looking at your cards." Jamie Vardy. This is this is supposed to be what happened because you can't really make out the detail. But Vardy turned around. Uh, the man uh, was of East Asian appearance. Jamie Vardy called him Jap three times, walk on, and shouted, shouted this several times, walk on. And then sort of the, gets uh, got angry and was off his feet, or, or rather standing up off his chair and having a go, uh, shouting nasty. You can check out the video yourself. You can see what happened. Um, and this was reported at the time. Jamie Vardy had to apologize for using uh, the racial slur. Uh, I wholeheartedly apologize for any offensive cause. It was a regrettable error in judgment. I take full responsibility and accept my behavior was not up to what's expected of me. Was fined by Leicester and was prescribed a program of diversity awareness training. Um, and since then, not really a lot has been said about that. I mean, he's been in the England squad and obviously now has, has achieved this 11-match scoring run, which is and, and is probably one of the most celebrated players in the league. Yeah, not much has been said until Jonathan Liu of The Telegraph tweeted after his record-breaking goal at the weekend, well done, Jamie Vardy, you massive racist, bringing to light this, this incident and everything Ken's talked about there. Jonathan joins us to talk about, I guess, the reaction. First of all, Jonathan, what has the reaction been like to, to that tweet that you sent? Um, well, there's. I mean, I guess there was a lot of uh, a lot of blowback from Leicester fans. Uh, maybe a little bit upset that I called their top scorer a racist. Uh, obviously, a lot of support because you know, people generally don't like racism. Um, and then there was kind of a there was a third category of response, which is like I had no idea this had happened. And I think this is this is really the the main difference between things like John Terry and, and Luis Suarez. A lot of people simply don't know this has happened, and and it probably has affected uh, the way a lot of people see him. Why do you think that is the case, that people... Is it just that he wasn't as high-profile as those other footballers you talk about until the last 11 games? Yeah, it happened right at the start of the season, I think, or possibly even pre-season, and it didn't happen on the pitch. It wasn't... You know, there wasn't uh, a court case or, or anything like that. He, he's, he's, I guess, not as high-profile, although he is an England player. And I think the the timing and the circumstances of it and the fact that, I guess, it's it's Leicester rather than Chelsea or Liverpool allowed this to get swept under the carpet in a way that a more high-profile player wouldn't have, have had that, that uh, you know, opportunity. So you followed it up then with a post on Facebook which kind of gave your thoughts in, in a bit more detail. Um, and you, you know, towards the concluding part of it, you said... 
Uh, my view is this racist should be pariahs. They should be punished with the full fist of the law and beaten down by the crushing yoke of public opinion. They should be out of a job. They should be out of friends. They should have to get on their knees and beg us all for forgiveness. Do you really think Jamie Vardy should be out of a job? I think he should have been sacked by Leicester, definitely. And I think he should have been treated as uh, Leicester City treated their three youth team players who were uh, also found to be participating in that, you know, racist behaviour. Uh, I understand that it's not, you know, it's not a view that everybody's going to agree with, not even, it, it, it's not analogous with, with simply being against racism. I, I do genuinely think that uh, Jamie Vardy got off very lightly. Uh, whether he should be out of a job for perpetuity, probably not. But I think he should really have to show a lot more contrition uh, than, than he has so far. Yeah. I mean, it would... It strikes me as being a, without, without wanting to condone what Jamie Vardy said, a severe punishment for. I mean, we if you if people haven't seen the video, maybe they should maybe they should see the video because you do make the point in this Facebook post that it's difficult really to judge what he's done unless you kind of see see what he's done. Even still, you know, you see some drunken, yobbish, nasty behaviour. There's an obviously angry, a very unpleasant edge to what's happening. But should, I, I'm still, I still struggle to think that someone should, should be out of work for doing something horrible like that. It's, it's, uh, you know, you, you're right that it, it was, it was fueled by alcohol. It was, it was a drunken mistake, and, and I, I think I wrote that, you know, if I, when I make a drunken mistake, I end, I end up falling asleep on the night bus or waking up with a kebab or something, not, not racially abusing somebody. I think if, if he had been in any other walk of life. Uh, that's a sackable offence, and, and indeed it, it was with with three of his youth team teammates. And, and I, 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 I actually don't see that that's a particularly contentious opinion. If you racially abuse somebody in your whatever line of work you're in, that should be a sackable offence. It should actually be a criminal offence. And, and I believe that there are there are laws in place that that, um, that guard against against hate speech. Where you, you can only if you watch the video, and, and it's not some throwaway term it's not said in jest it's it's abuse pure and simple it's racist abuse and i don't think it's particularly controversial opinion that that should be that should at the very least put your livelihood in jeopardy it strikes me though that someone who would do that um couldn't possibly be um a well-educated person uh they would know not to do that i mean even if you were a well-educated racist you would know not to shout racial abuse at somebody in a, in a public space like that i mean it, it would be an idiotic uh, thing to do. So so it seems as though if Vardy was to be, you know, harshly punished for it, um, that he, he essentially would be being punished for a lack of education. Yeah, there is. A, but I mean, equally, there are, like you say, a lot of very well-educated racists. And, you know, it, let's not tar the whole, the vast, vast majority of people who haven't had the benefit of a good or, or thorough education who somehow miraculously miraculously turn out not to be racist. It's, uh, you know, the fact that he has been very stupid and, and unguarded um, and possibly, you know, wouldn't would never have said it in, in any other situation. I, I don't think detracts from the seriousness of what he actually did do. Jonathan, the one point you make is that he, at the very minimum, should be apologising at every given opportunity, should be talking about what he's said and um, what he's learned from it. I'm just slightly paraphrasing you here. Is that really the right course of action, though? Are you not getting to a point there where he's saying a certain thing that you know he just has to say, that it's it's essentially going to be empty anyway? He's already given his his one and only apology, and actually trying to get any more out of him isn't really going to 
isn't really going to achieve a whole lot, isn't really going to achieve anything genuine, any sort of genuine sense of contrition. Well, I, I, I suspect that, you know, as I said, that he should be, he should be apologising at every opportunity. I, I realise that that's kind of a pipe dream. It's in Leicester's best interest, it's in his best interest. It's probably in a lot of people's best interest to sweep it under the carpet. I do think, however, and, and this, this is probably where this whole issue came from and why I felt compelled to speak up about it, is that there is a, a whole lot of people out there who have no idea that this guy they're cheering on for scoring 13 goals in 11 Premier League games or, or whatever uh, and playing for England, they have no idea that he has this really horrible like cloud over him. And that's, that's the point I've tried to make, really, that the fact that he, he shouldn't be allowed to, to carry on business as usual yeah, I mean, yeah, while well, 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 he's got to hang over him, and part of the reason for that, I guess, is that there hasn't really been a great deal of um, coverage over it. It's not as though people have really been mentioning it a lot in the media as he's gone on this amazing run. People have been talking about Rivan Nistelrooy and Daniel Sturridge and uh, how he's passing these guys out, but no one has has been mentioning uh, what happened in the casino. And why do you think that is? Because uh, I, I mean, it is. It does stick out a little bit. This this. Um, Instant in his past, do you feel that the media uh, is happy to overlook racism? That that the media doesn't really view it as being that big a deal. I don't think it necessarily fits in with the narrative. It's a uh, you know if you if you look at his, his goal scoring run, his rise from Fleetwood Town and, and the non league, it is it is a wonderful sporting story. And the fact that he has done some things in in his past that you know are, are really quite objectionable doesn't really fit in that story i think there's a there's a, a drive in yeah you know, i guess the media but fans as well where they, they like to have a hero and vardy at the moment is a hero nobody wants to hear this and i don't think that what he's done should totally define him but i think it should be part of the conversation is there an element also jonathan that you, we've talked about some john terry for example is there something about because uh, Ken asked the question there, maybe the media doesn't grasp the seriousness of racial abuse, but certainly on the field, in the UK anyway, over the last number of years, it does seem any time an incident becomes public knowledge, there there's a huge amount of, um, uh, essentially, that the person at the centre of it does seem to be taken to task for it. Is, it. is there an element to this one that because it happened away from the field, I don't know, maybe the media or maybe people in general feel a little bit differently about it that even if they do see the clip I, uh, anyone who sees a clip by the way should be absolutely disgusted but that um, there's maybe some different feeling towards something that happens away from the field rather than something that happens in the course of a match I, I think so yeah I think that's, that's possibly part of it the fact that um, Luis Suarez says something racist to Patrice Evra uh, in front of you know a television audience of millions there's no getting away from that there's no sweeping that under the carpet whereas this this has happened away from the. We don't even know where it's happened. The casino. We don't know the victim, uh, and and it's easy with that lack of detail, with that lack of prominence, for things to get slightly overlooked. Yeah, I think that's true. Just lastly, Jonathan, how much do you engage with the people who are getting back to you on this? Uh, you, you mentioned there are maybe three different strands of responses you've been getting. Do you do you try to engage people? Try to maybe educate them a little bit. Uh, well. There, there are certain people who, I mean, I, I guess the, the abuse comes in in different strands, and there are, there are people who are, you know, who, who respond to my, you know, calling out racism with, with more racism, thus, you know, uh, ironically proving my point. I, I, I try 
I mean, they, you do say they do say don't don't feed the trolls. It is it is quite tempting at times. It is it is kind of like a little bit like whack a mole. But I, I've tried to you know I've tried to stay out of anything controversial. And really, there's there's no point arguing about racism with a racist, right? Mm. Yep, maybe so. Listen, Jonathan Liu, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. Yeah, I suppose at the centre of Jonathan's argument there is the lack of knowledge, the ignorance that people had on this subject. And when I say ignorance, I mean literally not knowing about it. A lot of people didn't realise this had happened. And now that Vardy is the flavour of the month in the Premier League, Jonathan felt it was worthwhile reminding people that this story does actually exist. Maybe not too surprisingly, some people aren't happy with that and feel it should be let go of something that happened and was apologised for. But... I can see, I see where Jonathan's coming from there, that if, if a lot of people didn't even realise that it happened in the first place, it's probably worth um, possibly worth reminding people. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that was interesting. I, I, hadn't, I kind of hadn't thought of that before he said that. You know what I mean? And I suppose it's just because of my own bubble or whatever, which is... Everybody knows all these football stories. Yeah, paying a lot of attention, to, uh, paying a lot of attention to what's happening in the Premier League. Uh, you tend to hear about these things. But yeah, um, I, find it a, I find it a difficult one, really, mm. to... To know what I think of it, in uh, in what way? Well, I just you to know think how, how much penance the person needs to serve after doing something like that. To an extent, because you know, I mean, this this is going to sound probably strange, but I I'd almost feel sorry for Vardy that he said that. I mean, not as sorry as the person who he abused, mm. not as sorry as for the you know that who is clearly the victim of racism, but you know, Vardy's an idiot. You know what I mean? I'm it's not like, sure how much sympathy you can give him for that, though. Yeah, so you usually would you normally sympathise with people who behave like ignorant idiots? Well, no, but at the same time, I, f- I kind of feel that if they weren't ignorant idiots, I kind of feel it's more ignorance and, and stupidity than malice. malice. I kind of feel I, I I I sort of think that, but maybe maybe what I'm giving there is like carte blanche for yeah. people to to behave terribly. But I do think it's it's a difficult one. I mean, for instance, I wouldn't agree with. Uh, with Jonathan's point in the Facebook post that, you know, he thinks Vardy effectively should have been sacked by, or he should be out of work. You know what I mean? I don't really agree. I mean, this is like the only thing he can do. Um, And because he doesn't know enough, because he doesn't, because he's dumb enough to do something like that, should he, should he be cut off from the only thing he can do? I I don't know. I think it's a difficult one though to, to really, uh, to know for sure what to think about it. The we haven't talked to Graham Hunter for quite a while, and the reason we want to talk to you today, Graham, was the conflicting story, or were the conflicting stories over the last few days about where exactly Pep Guardiola is going to end up next, if indeed he does leave Bayern Munich. We had heard on around Friday that Manchester City were close to getting a deal done for next year, but then uh, the counter argument emerged that he'd rather go to Manchester United if he had a pick. Can I ask you first of all, why would he want to leave Bayern Munich for either of those clubs? I think, first of all, he hasn't left yet. Let's start with that. There's so much kept reading. And I'm going to indulge in a little bit of it. So we have to be fair and say that at a similar stage, in his last time at Barcelona, he signed a renewal just to get everybody off his back. Now, it proved then to be the wrong thing to do. And at that stage, he was thoroughly heartsick of what went with the job at Barcelona. I'm not convinced that that's how he feels about life at Bayern Munich or in Bavaria. I think that there are elements. One of the elements would be his provisional forward schedule. I, I know that in his mind's eye, 
he can see himself working at Manchester United, or that has always been recently been the case. Over the last four or five years, it's been increasingly clear to him that that's something that he'd aspire to do. But beyond that, in his organised mind, would be, in due course, coaching Brazil to win a World Cup. And then eventually, I think, before whatever putative return to Barcelona, and I'm skipping far ahead now, but this isn't wholly guesswork. I've been shunted in this direction by people who have worked with him, do work with him, and want to work with him again. And, and the idea is eventually maybe take take over at Qatar when the youngsters that you see at 14, 15 now have come through, and then putatively eventually something back in Catalonia. Short term, why buy a minute? I, I, I'm not yet a thousand percent convinced that there's no possibility in staying on, but I admit that there's a decreasing likelihood. And I think one of the things would be the the ease with which Bayern Munich would likely to continue winning the title and the degree to which his best work utterly and absolutely requires the players to be in a continuing state of focus and tension and creative tension, I mean, not tension between him and them. And I know that one of the things alongside the media burnout that he most looks back on as a learning lesson at Barcelona was the time at which the players said, listen, we're we, we can do this, and, and I think subconsciously one or two of them began to say, we, we can do this without you being on our backs all the time. And I think he'd like to anticipate that with, with greater acuity at Bayern Munich. I'm not saying that instantly, but I think that's what's on his mind right now. Yeah, I mean, you um, have said that he would be <clears throat> the perfect appointment that Manchester United can't miss. Uh, why do you think he would be so... Uniquely suited to them. What, what, I mean, why do you think they need to move heaven and earth to get this guy? I think. I think when you first choose over, it's hard to convince the natives. But if you then pop over a bit of gospel music and Billy Graham, I think people are are interested and enjoying it, and and will celebrate. And I think the Van Hal is has done and is still doing extremely useful work in helping move Manchester United away from the irrepeatable, which is the quarter century of Sir Alex Ferguson and everything that went with it, into what comes next. I just don't think that in terms of what Manchester United need to be for trophy winning, for some sort of uh, connection with their fans and sponsors, in terms of keeping the current top players happy and in terms of attracting the world's best players, Louis van Gaal is not that. He just isn't. Now, whether that means that this summer that there's a, a careful pact between him and the club or whether he sees that his contract, best of luck to him. So I stress again, in my opinion, rewiring the, the, the playing and working practices at Manchester United has been a laborious job and I think it's one that, that needed doing because you couldn't repeat what went before. Therefore, what Pep represents exactly, in my view, is somebody from the same computer coding, somebody from the same family, just for the same founding principles, but fast across city's forties. Everything about him embodies what's missing at Manchester United right now, including creative risk, including allowing players to feel that they will be the best. It's not system-dominated. The system is 
dominant with Pep Guardiola because you must learn and apply the system in order to take creative risks, in order to create anarchy, in order to bully teams and in order to win by four rather than by one. And that's the crucial difference between Pep Guardiola's absolute abiding philosophy that he'll never abandon and what you're seeing right now with Louis van Gaal. And maybe it's the difference between a man who's been scalded a dozen times. You know, in Louis van Gaal, who's coming to pensionable age, you change, your needs and your wishes change. And Pep Guardiola is, is while, while they read from the same Bible, they're, they're singing very different songs. What about Manchester United showing a bit of confidence in themselves and doing what Barcelona did a few years ago and appointing their own Pep Guardiola equivalent in the form of Lou van Gaal's exceptionally helpful assistant, Ryan Giggs, who's, you know, had one of the great careers at that club, learned from the very best, has had time to absorb whatever Lou van Gaal has had to teach him. Why not say, you know, you can be to us what Guardiola was to, to Barcelona? Why do they, they always have to go chasing after other people's Guardiolas? I think you've done a beautiful, chavy job for me because I think part of your question was a deliberate assist. You know, the Ford Motor Company, as the old economics question goes, aren't in business to make cars, they're in business to make profit. Manchester United's rationale is not to show a bit of self-confidence in itself in its next appointment. What you make is a shrewd, intelligent, planned, strategic appointment. And I think that if you make a comparison between... A young, thrusting Pep Guardiola with a year of beating experience underneath him, taking over, and Ryan Giggs taking over in this instance. One, you need to be sure that there's some equivalence of talent. Now, there might be. I just don't have the experience to say whether there is or there isn't. Where I'm absolutely clear that there's no comparison, and this needs to be taken very carefully when people continuously shout for a combination of Giggs and Gary Neville next, is that what Pep certainly was inheriting was a hard core of players already in the first team who played precisely the way that he expected in the next four or five years to unroll, and a hard core of players coming through who could absolutely expertly master immediately. And the immediacy is something that's very, very important indeed, because from the limp dishrag of a side um, that lost everything in Frank Rijkaard's last season to win the treble was an enormous transformation in terms of achievement, but there were very significant, but nonetheless not revolutionary changes in daily practice to achieve what you've proposed. And I admit there's something of the dream scenario in what you've proposed. I think there's a whole revolution needs to take place. And does he have the tools? Does he have that same working material in the United team right now and coming through that Pep Guardiola did in 2008, I'd argue not, Ken. Graham, what is it about Manchester United do you think that would potentially appeal more to Pep Guardiola than a role at Manchester City, who seem to be the more powerful team and there? Not only, the not only are they, I mean, I'd say definitely comparably powerful in terms of um, the, the money they have to to. Uh, buy and to pay players. They also aren't followed around by this enormous um, legion of former players who are, you know, <laughs> maybe some of whom would like to be running the club themselves and who seem to criticise uh, at every turn. You couldn't 
intimidate Pep Guardiola. Is that what you're saying? Well, I just, think Fanny could intimidate anybody. Well, I think I think Pep Guardiola has has betrayed <laughs> signs of you know he sometimes does get a little bit irritable with this. I mean, he's he's obviously dealt with it uh, pretty well at Bayern. Ultimately, the success that he's had is the best is the best argument. There are plenty of ex players who've had a go at his his way of doing things there. But, you know, it's a problem that wouldn't doesn't really apply to Manchester City quite as much. No one really cares if Joe Corrigan and David, David White are having a go. But when you've got Neville on Sky, Skulls on BT Sport, Rio, uh, probably Giggs, because I doubt he'd be kept on as assistant somehow, all uh, chiming in, and Roy Keane, obviously, on ITV. You know, I mean, it's it, I'm, I might be tempted to go to Man City myself to avoid that oh, headache. Oh. Listen, if they ask me, they should have you. There's no question. It's a good appointment. There's three ways to answer that, I think. It's, it's tripartite. Let, let's, be, let's be clear in, in saying that I, I'm, I'm working on, on hard guidance and from its direct experience of Pep Guardiola and from what he has said. So when I talk about United having always attracted them. It is to do with it's. It's when you hear the sound of hooves, don't look for zebras; it'll be horses. It's it's the history. It's Old Trafford. It's bringing back the achievement. It is the same magical mix of of extraordinary achievements, human drama, flair that attracts so many people to follow Manchester United. These are the elements that have attracted Pep Guardiola. Make no mistake about it. It's nothing more surprising than that. But let's also part two. Let, let's not discard the fact that Manchester City have worked and are working very, very hard to change his mind. My reporting of what has been on Pep Guardiola's mind for the last four, five, six years does not exclude the fact that he can be persuaded by City and that he can take your advice and sign for them. The third thing is, is you've presupposed that, number one, like you say, that the Manchester United pressure from ex-players might be worse than it initially was with Bayern. I don't think it can be. Secondly, when he goes there, if he is doing what I argue he's wholly capable of doing, which is taking the groundwork of Louis van Gaal, taking the systematic work which has been drilled in training and adding the differences... And probably adding the better players. I go back to my original point, I think Louis van Gaal probably won't attract the world's best footballers to that system because they'll look at him and say he's risk-averse, he's creativity-averse. They won't say that with Pep Guardiola. People will aspire to work for him. And therefore, I'm arguing that if he makes that move in United to convince him or make the offer and beat Manchester City, because I think there's a race on now if Manchester United want to get into it, then if he's winning and convincing and there's flair, then... Those critics that you're talking about, that Greek chorus, that changes into praise, doesn't it, Ken? Uh, might just do, yeah. We'll pick this up uh, after letting you go, Graham. Brilliant to talk to you again. Thanks a million. Love to add. Hairdryers is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by a furious blast of temper. The hairdryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hairdryer, I think, at David Beckham. Oh, he threw a hairdryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. I quite admire Pep Guardiola's <laughs> nostalgic view of the football world. Because just to go back to something else Graham said there, He'd love to manage Brazil to win the World Cup. Yeah. He, he has a picture of football as though it's somewhere in the early 2000s. Yeah. Manchester United riding high. Maybe even earlier than that. <laughs> well, maybe, Bolt, maybe, maybe it'll be high. Bolton Wanderers or Blackpool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Preston, one of these. Instead of funny answer the question, what would you do? Manchester United. 
If you um, had the choice, you'd manage Manchester United. I'd I'd probably go to whoever paid me more. Simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Imagine there was a bidding war before your services between Manchester United and Manchester City. Well, ultimately, you should be getting well. You're going to get well remunerated. Yeah. And who will give me the most watertight contract? None of these one-year severance clauses. You know, I'm looking for a five-year deal. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think No way out for either party. I mean, but you, you know, that's the difference between me and Pep Guardiola. So you're still not giving me an answer. Well, then, will you at least indulge me by telling myself and the listeners about uh, a little more about this video you've been watching? Cesc Fabregas's highlights? Oh, come on. They've all seen it, too. Judging by the, I mean, just the viral sensation of... Seth Fabregas uh, playing against Tottenham and not having one of his best ever games. Kicking the ball against the head of his prone teammate, William, at one stage. William, who got another ball in the face from Danny Rose a little bit later on, so poor William was, was wandering around holding his nose. That's it from us. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to the show. We have got another podcast out today that's going to feature a chat with Donald McRae, the great author and journalist in the UK who has interviewed Tyson Fury many times, found his first experience with him very unsettling as he described it himself. So there's a lot to talk about with regards to the new heavyweight champion of the world there. We've got a little bit of Connacht in that one as well, Connacht after, well, are they the top province in Ireland at the moment? Uh, certainly the recent results and league table will suggest that they are, so we'll chat about all of that. If you enjoy reading good sports books as much as you do listening to sports podcasts, why not get your grubby paws on the second Captain Sports Annual Volume 1 at the very least? Drop some heavy, heavy hints to the people closest to you about what you would like for Christmas in the sports book genre. It's an Irish product, 100% produced, printed, conceived and written in Ireland if you want to get your hands on it secondcaptains.com or uh, Easton's and all good bookstores it's out now in the meantime thanks very much again for listening thank you again thank you too and we'll talk to you later Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.